Well, does God ever love us in a tough way? Is uh, we ever look at God and say, that's tough love? Let's find out. From the Word of God, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. Hear God's Word this morning. And he was setting out on his journey, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there was no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers, sisters and mothers, children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, perhaps that same evening, this young aristocrat sat alone reflecting on this strange meeting he had earlier in the day. His conversation with the rabbi was not quite what he had expected. He saw right through me, he thought. But so what? Wasn't, uh, wasn't he Mr. Phi Beta Kappa? Wasn't he Mr. Perfect Attendance? Sure, he had temptations. And sometimes he let his imagination explore them. He savored contempt for a couple of unsavory figures in his life, but he never acted on any of them. He put his record right up against anybody's. But he did have this nagging, a nagging self-doubt. Usually it came as a flash of dread. Sometimes it lingered, dragged him down into depression. He didn't know what he was guilty of, but he felt guilty. And lately, it happened every time he strolled down the, the colonnade in the back of his main house. All of those, those white busts of his 
ancestors seeming to whisper to him, what have you done to deserve the worthy name we've given you? Most, most living people, though, seemed to be impressed with him. They stepped aside when he passed by. The rich young ruler, they called him. Not that he put too much stock in titles. His question to the rabbi showed a great deal of deference, in fact, did it not? What must I do to inherit eternal life, he had said. That shows some humility, doesn't it? Okay, I I did assume that I, I could do something on my own to inherit it, he thought. But why did Jesus give me such an impossible task, he wondered. Sell everything and give it to the poor? Such a severe choice between two kingdoms. But there, alone with these thoughts, his earlier conversation was was becoming like a mirror, showing him to himself, reflecting back at him what he really valued, what he had centered his life around, his whole identity and security and salvation tightly wrapped around his little status. For the longest time, he didn't think much about things like this. But lately, that nagging self-doubt had gotten worse. Anger just seemed to bubble up out of nowhere. Curse words just were on his lips before he even thought about it, just escaped unconsciously. The previous week, he had received an invitation to honor one of his childhood friends who was receiving an award. Why did he feel such shame at the accomplishments of his friends? Standing in front of his actual mirror, he actually said it out loud this time, something he had thought a thousand times. Mirror, mirror on the wall, am I doing any good at all? Maybe that doubt was why he jumped at the chance when he heard about this famous teacher coming through town. On his way to Jerusalem, they said, to the big city. This might be your best chance to get a word with him. So many stories circulated around this man. Stories of miracles, great crowds, wisdom. He spoke with authority, they said. Well, he certainly had found that out earlier that day. What a definitive pronouncement Jesus made. One thing you lack, he said. What was that one thing? The young ruler asked himself, what was that one thing? He remembered that knowing glint in Jesus' eyes. This total stranger seemed to understand him better than he knew himself. He felt a sudden flush of embarrassment in his cheeks. Why did I run up to him like that, like such a fanboy? The rabbi seemed to know exactly why. He remembered his own words to the rabbi, good teacher. That seemed like a fair way to start, right? Why did the teacher jump all over his greeting? I mean, the very first word out of the young man's mouth seemed to reveal all, reveal his ignorance, reveal his attempt to manage the situation. I was just showing a little respect 
for the office, he thought. A little diplomacy. I mean, nobody gets to my station in life without some diplomacy. All right, maybe a little flattery, a little social lubricant to slide past barriers. Flattery had often opened doors for this young man. The young ruler noticed it was harder for people to refuse him after a few well-placed compliments. No one had read into his motives until now. Why do you call me good, the teacher said. What a surprising chess move. He seemed to know the game right away, a game the young man was really playing against himself. It was like he knew the man didn't really want answers. He wanted agreement. He wanted affirmation about the path he had already chosen for himself. But affirmation is, after all, the socially polite code, is it not? I mean, just affirm. Don't question somebody else's desires. You do you. Own your truth. No one else can tell you what's best for your life. Obviously, this code didn't restrain this teacher. Jesus stepped past the world of measurable facts into the personal world of values. The world out here is where the facts are, right? And the world inside is the world of values. Nobody else belongs in there but me, right? He seemed to suggest that there were facts inside that world as well. But he was kind about it. He was very kind about it. The rabbi seemed genuine to believe in a bigger truth common to us all, far more authoritative than merely private values. But the man thought, how presumptuous. Yet he admired. He admired the man. And he did admit to himself, there was no judgment in it. Jesus seemed to want more for that young man than he wanted for himself. Seemed to have a great hope for him far beyond the blithe patting of the hand saying, there, there, dear, it'll be all right. Your good deeds will get you into eternity. Now, many centuries later, Shakespeare would tell a similar story of a different ruler, a a guy named King Lear. This king also was looking for compliments. He intended to divide up his kingdom among his three daughters, and he asked his daughters for a compliment. They wanted, he wanted them to express their love for him, to butter him up, really. The first two daughters understood the game. And that's probably why he could not tolerate the third daughter's comments. The first two daughters had exaggerated. But she, the third daughter, was very straightforward, earnest, no embellishment. A simple, honest answer. Without even intending it, the third daughter exposed the king's vanity. That daughter had similar qualities to Jesus. Can you see it? Can you make the connection? Telling it like it is while ardently desiring something more for the king, her father, than shallow affirmation. Likewise, Jesus saw through the young ruler's vanity. Jesus didn't seem swayed by the compliments. Even as the young fellow dropped to his knees, 
The teacher would not let himself be manipulated. How strange, the young man thought. Jesus only asked about the second commandments, the second tablet of commandments. Don't murder, commit adultery, lie, steal. He even mentioned the one from the first tablet about honoring your father and mother. But all of these had to do with people. He skipped all of the commandments that related to God, to relating to God. What kind of response is that to somebody who's asking about eternal life? The young man was talking about heaven and religion and eternity. It's not like he was treating Jesus like some genie in a bottle, like he was rubbing the bottle and wanting something for the here and now, some quick payoff. Well, Jesus seemed to be implying something like this. Okay, you've been playing well with others, not running with scissors, but have you ever wondered what you would be like with your back up against the wall like most other people? Without all the benefits of wealth, how you would treat your fellow man then? Would hardship reveal more of the self-reliance and pride that you have towards God? It's easy to be humble towards people when you're well-known and have resources. And it's easy to take credit for it in the quiet of your own soul. So are you really looking for eternity or are you wanting shallow reassurance? The young ruler was alone with these reflections. But suddenly, he felt a little naked under his clothes just thinking about it just thinking about the veneer of good manners barely covering the skinny legs of his self-reliance. In just a few words, the rabbi exposed the shadows around all his bright memories about himself. Was Jesus just trying to make him feel bad? Proving he was the smartest guy in the room? Or was his exposure a kind of tough love? For the moment, the young man seemed to admit that this kingdom of his own making, all his wealth, could not make up for his spiritual poverty. He held life like a kite on a string. So why this morning had he dropped to his knees, his knees in public, forgetting his station? He was indeed lacking something. His own kingdom had become an island. Yes, he had he'd won life's lottery. His status even implied a moral superiority. The rabbi's own disciples believed that. Like most people in that day and age, they regarded wealth as a sign of God's favor. Everyone around that young man quietly acquiesced to his nobility, that he was master of his fate, captain of his own soul. So many people in his life were willing to scratch his back, so to speak. Why didn't all the accolades ever get to the center of the itch? That morning, he walked away from that conversation, not just disappointed, but grieved. Grieved grieved about returning to his lonely kingdom, perhaps. What would he be without that status, though? Would he 
Would he be anything without all his stuff, apart from this identity he had constructed for himself? Could God really want more for him than he wanted for himself? Jesus seemed to think so. Maybe that's why Jesus skipped the whole first tablet of commandments about loving God. The one's about relating well to God. This young man had no honest connection with God because the one thing he lacked was the grace of God. And he wasn't really seeking it, was he? He didn't really see his true need for grace. He was obeying the outward rules, all the visible commands, but in his heart, he was his own ruler. He could do it all by himself. Or could he? His mind flashes back. Suddenly a picture of his earthly father comes to mind. One cherished memory had become a symbol of their relationship. It was a crisp fall day. His dad was in the yard, surrounded by piles of colorful leaves, such neat little piles. He was a boy, and he wanted to pitch in. He wanted to prove himself. His father handed him a rake. After a few minutes, he realized, he looked around and, and realized he probably made things worse. But looking back now, he remembered how pleased his father was with his effort, pleased with his willingness that allowed his effort to put them side by side. He remembered the shiny coin the father put in his hand, in the palm of his hand, remembering that affirmation, that feeling of affirmation. He remembered what grace felt like. The young man certainly didn't deserve that coin. His father rewarded him just because. A man celebrating his son, warts and all, in the midst of mess, just because. Well, that's grace. That's grace. Later that same evening, the rich young ruler stood again before the mirror. He thought of those piles of leaves scattered. He thought of all his efforts in life. He pictured all the things he had been given and what he had built ever since. Mirror, mirror on the wall, he began to ask himself, have I tried to fill my deepest desires with God's good gifts themselves rather than God himself? Have I come to believe in my own press releases about who I am and what I'm worth? Could God really want more for me than I want for myself? Suddenly, he recognized the source of his grief. He had climbed the ladder of personal achievement and now realized the ladder was leaning against the wrong building. Now, First Presbyterian Church friends, does this story haunt anyone here or is it just me? Most people in the world live on $2 a day. By comparison, we're all rich. So is Jesus laying down a universal principle about money? Or is it a principle that 
can apply to a variety of idols. The issue seems to be this. What has your heart? It may not be wealth in particular. It may be your talent. You know, you've built a world around a unique talent that you have. Maybe it's your family image. No, I mean, families can become an idol. I mean, it's one of God's good gifts, but, but you, can, you can put your family above God. Your achievements may be at the center of what gives you a sense of worth and identity and security. These are all good gifts from God. Jesus is warning us that we not confuse the gifts with the giver, that we not place the gifts ahead of the giver. Charles Mitchell and William Durant, just two names of men who, after the 1929 market crash in New York City, jumped out of a tall building. Obviously, they could not see life worth living apart from what they had lost. This gets close to what Jesus is getting at with the rich young ruler. Jesus is not trying to help the young man just avoid the despair of those two men after the 1929 crash. He's teaching him that his restlessness is saying something and to listen to it. The, the restlessness that literally brought this man to his knees is legitimate. His security is centered on something that will not last. And Jesus wants to add, or Jesus notices that, that he just wants to add God on top of his life's ice cream sundae like a bunch of spiritual sprinkles. One thing you lack, Jesus said. The disciples puzzled over this rebuke because material blessings in that day were considered a sign of God's favor. They thought if somebody like this, young, handsome, wealthy, kind, good, has it all together, all the, all the wrinkles seem to be ironed out, if something like, like, like this can't get into heaven, who, who can what was the one thing that Jesus was talking about? Oh, it's grace, yeah. But how do, you get, how do you get at that? How do you get at the grace of God? Well, the answer Jesus is saying is trust. Trust. Now, I, think, I think today we have this same kind of assumption that they had back then. We have the same kind of assumption. There, there, are, there are enclaves and cultures and even theologies called the health and wealth gospel, that, that health and wealth are always signs of God's favor. <laughs> Jesus is trying to show favor to this young man with tough love. Tough love. But there are other things, I think, in our culture that have swept over us more than this health and wealth business. I think that's much more of a subculture. But in, in mainstream culture, people have fallen back on their own merit the same way this young man had. Today, it's about having the right opinion. 
Never mind actually doing something, risking something, building something. (laughs) Just have the right opinion, all right? And you're going to inherit eternal life. The rich young ruler had the right opinions. Jesus was sort of taking the one tablet and saying, okay, just in terms of the measurable, in terms of the things you can see and touch, just in terms of the, of the, the way you relate to somebody that you can see, not in terms of your motives or your ultimate goal for, that, for your life or theirs. Yeah, you, you seem to have some things together. But Jesus must have known that this young man's heart wasn't really in it. His own effort to save himself was leaving him anxious, restless, because he was centering on himself, self-reliance. The first part of Mark's gospel, when we talked about you know, the light on the path, uh, we were really showing how the word shows us a sense of light, a sense of objective truth. This second half is really taking an inward look. And are we willing to be exposed? (laughs) I was talking about the man's skinny legs, right? Skinny legs of self-reliance. What about your skinny legs? (laughs) You ever think a preacher would ask you about your skinny legs from the pulpit? It's a metaphor. What about your legs of self-reliance? Are you willing to have those exposed? Well, in each instance during this series, we're talking about a willingness, not just to have a light of truth shined on the path, but to have your own life exposed by the light of truth. Jesus isn't saying that the good gifts of this world aren't something that you should enjoy. He's not saying that you shouldn't buy a nice, pricey cup of coffee and enjoy that and thank God for all of his good gifts. He's warning us not to treat temporal things as ultimate things. That it will make our soul weak, anemic, too anemic for eternity. So I encourage you today, my friends, to take your bulletin, to take the questions that are listed there. And in the car ride home, around the dinner table, in the Sunday school, at a small group, or in the quiet of your own heart, ask yourself, what has your heart? Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you that you loved us enough to love us tough, to ask us difficult questions. in such a way that might draw us out, that might draw out some of the the ways that we have ordered life around ourselves to our own detriment. Father, give us the, the courage to take some risks in the coming season as we ramp up towards Easter. Lord, may we take seriously your call to come and follow you, to take up our cross and to trust you. It's by grace we are saved through faith. This not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Help us to receive that gift.
In Jesus' name, amen.